So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're looking at verses 1 to verses 22 of 1 Corinthians 10. And for those kids who are still here, young or old, have you ever played Mario Kart? The video game for the rest of you? Yeah, we got some big kids in the back there. Um, well, during the, the pandemic, if we could have the first slide up, um, our family would play a lot. And if, for those of you who don't know, it's basically a race. You're racing the other players with uh, your vehicle. And on the track are other racers and are obstacles that you have to try to avoid because they'll slow you down or they'll make you crash. But along the way, there are also power-ups that you can collect as you drive over them on the track, and they give you special powers. And one of them is a star. And if you can collect this power, I loved to get it because it not only speeds you up, but it also makes you impervious and immune and protected from crashing into the obstacles or off of the course. And so you can speed around the track without worrying about having to steer around any obstacles or crash. It's like a free pass. A pass to do whatever you want without fearing the consequences. And some of us may think that that's what God's grace is. That it's like a free pass to make your life immune to God's displeasure or God's discipline. Someone a long time ago joked, I love to sin and God loves to forgive. The world is arranged remarkably well. But that is a bad and a deadly misunderstanding of God's grace. Salvation, God's grace, as Paul makes clear in today's passage, is not a free pass to do whatever we want. Now let me ask you, does this surprise you? Coming from Paul, the apostle who said famously, by grace we are saved through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. The apostle who wrote the letters of the Galatian, or to the Galatians and to the Romans, where Paul again and again said we're saved by what Christ has done for us on the cross and not by what we ourselves do. This is the same man who is going to argue now in today's passage that grace is not a free pass. That you can't use grace to do whatever you want and to live however you want. Let's see how Paul does this. First, he takes the Corinthians back to the Bible. And for them, the Bible, of course, was the Old Testament. The New Testament was just being written at that moment by Paul. So let's see what Paul has to say. Verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. Here, Paul's reminding the Corinthians of the stories about Moses and the Israelites in the desert from the Old Testament, where God provided manna from heaven after he led them out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, and they had manna to eat, and they had quail to eat. And when they were thirsty, God brought water out of a rock in the desert for them to drink. But notice how Paul summarizes these stories. He says, 
they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. Now, isn't that a strange way to put it? Well, what seems to be going on here is that Paul is making a connection between manna and water from the rock and the communion meal. Notice Paul also mentions baptism in verse 2. He compares the Israelites crossing through the Red Sea to a sort of baptism. And then he moves on to spiritual food and spiritual drink. And when, when, um, what does Paul say the Israelites were eating and drinking? Well, in verse 4, he says, they, back in the time of Moses, they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. They drank spiritual drink coming from Christ. Now, is this weird or what? (laughs) To say, first of all, that when God used Moses to bring water out of the rock in the desert for the people to drink, that that rock was Christ. And then to say that that rock accompanied them, journeyed with them through the desert. What Paul's referring to here is an old Jewish tradition. The rabbis wrestled with the fact that in a couple places in the Old Testament, there are very similar stories of God bringing water out of a rock for the people to drink. And what some of the rabbis concluded was that it was the same rock each time. And so the rock must have followed them around the desert. Of course, the Old Testament doesn't actually say that, but it was a common theory and understanding at the time, and Paul picks up on it here. He says that rock that followed them around, that gave them water to drink in the desert, that rock was Christ. The Israelites were drinking from Christ. Just like you, when you celebrate communion and you drink the cup, you are drinking from Christ. Like the Israelites were, you too were baptized. Like them, you too eat spiritual food and spiritual drink as you feast on Christ. That's the connection that Paul is making. In other words, here's Paul's point. The Israelites had the benefit of God's grace just like we do. God was gracious to them in the Old Testament. God gave them better than they deserved as they grumbled in the desert. God took care of them in the desert. And yet, look where Paul goes next. It's a stark warning, verse 5. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Here's what Paul's getting at. He's warning, don't think that just because you've been baptized and you celebrate communion and you remember that Christ died for you through that meal, don't think that that protects you if you rebel against God if, if you turn away from God. It wasn't a protection, uh, or rather, uh, God's grace wasn't a protection for the Israelites, and it isn't for you. It isn't a free pass. And then Paul elaborates even more on this. He recalls four stories from the Israelites' years wandering with Moses in the desert, and he picks four that are relevant to the Corinthians. One is about worshiping idols. One is about sexual immorality. The next is about testing. And the last one is about grumbling. And these are all things that the Corinthians have been doing. Verse 6, 
Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Then verse 11, again, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings to us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So, when you read the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, the book of Numbers, where you find these stories, and you read these depressing stories about the Israelites, they're grumbling, right? And they're rebelling, and Moses is getting mad at them, or Moses is falling down on his face before God in humility. And then God is sometimes forgiving the people, and other times God's dishing out some punishments. And you think, Moses, poor guy, you know, how did he put up with the people Paul is saying these stories, they're examples for us of of how we as God's people are not supposed to act and how God may discipline us if we act in these ways. Because remember what the Corinthians have been doing. Some of them have been going to idol temples to participate in the meals there, meals that were part of the worship of those pagan gods. And some of them were sleeping around And Paul had written to them already and told them to stop, but they had written back to Paul arguing they didn't need to stop and bragging about all the spiritual knowledge they have and these things weren't really a problem. And so they were okay, so just get off their case, Paul. And and so they're in effect testing Paul. They're grumbling, they're disagreeing with him. And Paul says, you know, like Moses, I'm representing God to you here. And when you're testing me and you're disagreeing with me and you're grumbling against me, you're really testing Christ and you're grumbling against God. And the way you're acting right now, none of this is new. The Israelites did it before you. But you know, it's okay. Worship idols on, sleep around on, test on, grumble on. You're under God's grace now, so it really doesn't matter. God will forgive you. Is that what Paul says? No. No, Paul says, watch out, or the punishments that God meted out on the Israelites will happen to you as well. And then verse 12, this is the starkest warning of all. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Now we may miss the starkness of this warning because we hear fall and we might assume it's a metaphor for falling spiritually. But fall is actually the same word Paul used in verse 8, and some modern translations cause us to miss this because they paraphrase it in verse 8. But here's what verse 8 literally says. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them fell. Fell. 23,000 fell. They dropped dead. Verse 12, be careful lest you fall. You hear how stark that is. Be careful lest you fall down dead like they fell down and died. 
Because grace isn't a free pass to do what you want. That's not what grace is. Now question, does that mean we can lose our salvation? Well, here's how I'd answer that. If you think God's grace is a free pass, then you're badly mistaken about what this whole Jesus thing is about in the first place. And you might need to reconsider whether you want to be saved. Because salvation by grace isn't a license to do whatever you want because God will forgive you. But rather, salvation is an invitation to turn from a life where you did whatever you want and to follow Christ's leadership instead. And if you don't want to follow Christ's leadership, then you don't really want salvation. So make your choice. And, and let me give you an illustration of this. I often do the grocery shopping in our family. And when my kids were really young, sometimes they wanted to go along. Maybe they were like three years old. And um, I knew based on past experience that I needed to have a talk with them to clarify what going along did and didn't entail. Some of you have had this talk, right? It went something like this. You can come with daddy if you want, but don't pester me the whole time for candy and cupcakes and a hundred other treats. And we're not going to stop at the pet store as we, that we have to walk past on the way to the grocery store to look at all the puppies. And we're not going to be hanging out in the little toy section of the grocery store the whole time. And we can't leave early if you're bored because daddy has to do all the shopping. And of course they agreed. Oh yes, daddy, I want to go. But sometimes this didn't stop them once we were there from asking for candy or getting bored and wanting to leave, etc. And what I'd have to say is, that's not what this trip is about. It's not about all the things you'd maybe like it to be about. You knew what you were signing up for when you signed on. And that's how it is with God's salvation. When you sign on for God's salvation, you are not signing on for a free pass to do whatever you want and God will forgive you anyway. That's not what God is offering. No, what God is offering is a loving invitation to become part of his family and to teach you how to become like he is, how to live a truly good life, how to live a truly healthy life, how to live a fully human life like you were created to live with God as God created and designed for you to live in this world the way it's supposed to work in the first place. And if that's what you want, God will forgive all your failures in the past and God will forgive you your failures and your shortcomings along the way as you learn to live in this new way. When you stumble, as you try and as you grow, God's grace is there for you. But if what you really want is a free pass to just do what you want, then Jesus is not your man. And salvation is not what you're really looking for. Because God's grace is not a free pass. We'll notice where Paul goes next. I love this about Paul. Paul never wants to end on a note of warning. Paul is so steeped in grace that he always wants to bring it back to the positive. So verse 13, and before I read it, remember that the, these stories about the Israelites in the desert, 
they were about times of testing. Times when the Israelites tested God and when God was testing them too. And often they were failing the tests. And Paul's dictating this letter to the Corinthians in Greek. And what we need to know is that in Greek, the word for test is the same word as the word for temptation. And so sometimes our English Bibles don't know which one to use, test or temptation. And you might have a footnote about that in your Bible in verse 13. And so I'm going to read it both ways as I read verse 13 now. Paul says, no testing, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tested, tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tested, tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. Do you hear the encouragement? As you're facing hard things like the Israelites did, as your faith is tested and it's tried, for the Israelites it was having no food or no water in the wilderness. For us, for the Corinthians and us, it might be that it costs us something to, fo to follow our faith and, and we're tempted to give in and to compromise and to not put God first. Remember what the test was, what the temptation was that the Israelites were facing. We, we talked about this back in September when we looked at chapter 8. The Corinthians were feeling pressure to go to the temples of the false gods like Zeus and Artemis and Dionysus and to participate in the meals that took place there. Meals that began with an offering to the god, to the idol in the temple, and then continued as a social occasion. And we talked about what a temptation it was to attend these meals because in that culture, that's where you made your social connections or your contacts. Maybe it's like going to a football game on a Friday night in the South. It's like if you live in a small town, that's where everything's happening. And if you don't go, you miss out. That's where business was done, where bargains were struck. It's where local economic policies and agreements got set. It was hard to advance or even to hold your own in your job and in your social life and your social standing if you didn't go to these meals. To skip the meals was to be left out. It was to be an outsider or even an outcast. There was a serious social and economic cost. And Paul here says in response, when your faith is tested and you're tempted to compromise, you're not experiencing anything that others haven't already experienced. And God is faithful. He won't give you more than you can handle. And he'll always provide a way out so you can endure it. So do the right thing. Pass the test. Don't give in to temptation. Stand firm. Be faithful. Speaking of tests, speaking of temptations, let me ask you a question. How would you feel if someone you respected and trusted walked up to you and said, you know, I want you to give serious thought to quitting your job or when you graduate to packing up your life and becoming a missionary in a foreign country? What images, what feelings might go through your mind? Excitement? Fear? Worry? Now, you'd have to decide whether God was really calling you to do that, but to even consider it would be a test of your faith, right? Well, I was in that position once. Um, I had decided to become a missionary, and so a bunch of other recruits and I, we 
showed up in Pasadena, California for training and for preparation. And we were feeling all of these things. We were feeling excitement. We were feeling fear. We were fearing, feeling worry. Would it be hard? Could we do it? Would it be dangerous? And so those planning our training, one of the things they did was they invited some seasoned missionaries, those who had gone before us, to tell us stories of their experiences. And those stories about their experiences on the mission field did a couple things. First, they said, you're not alone. Others have done this, real ordinary people like you. It's doable. We have done it. And second, there are strategies, there are tools you can learn to survive and thrive in this challenge. Here are some tips. Here are strategies for navigating a foreign city, for getting your visa, for buying food when you don't know the language, etc. And this is, in effect, what Paul is saying here to the Corinthians and to us. Yes, being faithful to God is hard. It's scary at times. But first, others have gone before you. Others have done it. You can do it too. The tests and the temptations you face are common to mankind. We all face them. You're not alone. And then second, God will provide a way out. God will provide tools and tips and strategies and ways for you to be faithful to him no matter how hard the situation you face. Well, with that encouragement, Paul goes on to verse 14 to apply this specifically to the Corinthians. And here's where he circles back to the major issue that he's been arguing with the Corinthians about, this issue of going to the temples of false gods to participate in the meals. Paul, back in chapter 8, maybe you remember, he's already given them one reason for not attending these meals, and that had to do with loving their brothers and sisters. Because some of the Corinthians were convinced it was okay to attend these meals, and they were evidently encouraging others that it was okay too, But others of the Corinthians had an uneasy conscience about this. They didn't feel right about attending these meals. And Paul said in chapter 8, the ones who were attending the meals, he said to them, you can't attend because your job is to love, your job is to build up your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who think this is wrong and who can't attend in a good conscience. And you need to focus on loving them, not on what you feel you have the right to do. So we covered that in chapter 8, a few weeks back. But now in chapter 10, Paul gives them a second reason for not going to these meals. And that's because verse 20, when a sacrifice is made to a false god in a pagan temple, it's not made to nobody since the pagan god doesn't exist. Rather, it's actually made to demons, to dark spirits. There are demons attached to these false gods. And not every force and being in the spiritual world is friendly. And too many of us are naive about this. We think, oh, I could play with a Ouija board. I could visit a palm reader or a fortune teller. What harm can it do? You know, I might learn something helpful or I might at least least satisfy my curiosity. And it's true, you might learn something helpful. And you might, the experience might be really intriguing. But do you know what you're dealing with? Do you know what that spiritual power's real motives are? Don't we teach our children, don't accept candy from strangers? 
Don't become friends online with strangers and give them your personal info. How do you know if who they're posing as is really who they are? How do you know what their real motives are? And as adults, we have to teach our kids this because young kids are innocent and naive. Well, Paul doesn't want us to be innocent or naive about the spiritual realm. Because the truth is there are other spiritual powers out there. But they are enemies of God. They are enemies of Christ. And they have their own nefarious agendas. And they'll offer you direction and, and help and power just like the pervert in the sketchy van will offer a child candy. Don't be naive, Paul warns, about what their real motives are once they hook you in. That's what Paul is saying in this case about the temple meals. There are demons behind this sort of thing. There are dark and nefarious powers. So Paul says, flee from it. Run. Stay away. And then he says, you can't get involved in that stuff and at the same time be involved with Jesus. You can't cozy up to the enemies of Jesus and at the same time be close to Jesus. Verse 16, Paul goes back to the communion meal again because communion was a bigger deal for the New Testament Christians than often it is for us. And notice Paul's going to use the word participation again and again here at the end of this passage in relation to the communion meal. And it's the Greek word koinonia. Some of you maybe know that word. Verse 16, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the blood of Verse 18, consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? In other words, if you sacrifice to a God, whether the true God or some other God, you participate with that God. You connect yourself to them. Verse 20, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. Any lover has a right to get jealous when you cheat on them. So Paul concludes, if you want to follow Jesus, be faithful to Jesus. You can't follow Jesus and at the same time participate with the other side. Because grace is not a free pass to do what you want. No, grace means Jesus is willing to have you as his own. Jesus is willing to forgive your sins and save you out of this world and set you free from the other powers, the other enticements of the world. And Jesus is willing to pick you up when you fall along the way and lead you into a new life a life with him. That's grace. It's not a free pass, but what a gift it is.